going to start with a promise that's printed on the front of your bulletin there. It comes from the lips of our Lord. Matthew chapter 5, verse 8 says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. This is a promise from Jesus, and it's a promise for the future. It's also a promise for, for this evening. It's, it's a promise for the future, for the that all those who trust in Christ have the hope that one day we will see our God. We'll see Him face to face. We'll know Him. There'll be no more sin, no more shame, no more crying, no more tears, no more struggle. It'll be gone. We will see Him. But it's also a promise for, for right now. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. That's a promise also for right now. If you've come here tonight and, and you're, you're, you're not a Christian, you, you know yourself to not be following after Jesus, this is a promise for you even now, that there is a God uh, who promises forgiveness for any who will turn from their sin and trust in his son Jesus who died for you. You'll hear more about him tonight. I encourage you not to leave here tonight without being at peace with your maker. But for those of us who are Christians, this promise is also for us right now. Today there is laid before us the, the abundant life that Jesus promised. This, this abundant life that, that, that the God of heaven who said, be holy as I am holy, has promised to us. Be holy as I am holy. That's the call from heaven, from God to his people. And the greatest lie that some of us have, have been told and have believed is that holiness is bad. That holiness is it's boring. Holiness is it's prudish. That's a lie, though. It's just not true. Holiness is beautiful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed, Jesus says. There's a happiness that comes from holiness because, because our God is holy. Happiness isn't gained by indulging in sin's fleeting pleasures, but it's it's gained by indulging in the one whom our hearts was created to know. Blessed are the pure in heart. So what, is it, what does it mean to be, to be pure? Well, the word simply means, purity means to be clean, innocent, spotless, free from pollution of sin. So it's, 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 it's the kind of water that you want to drink in your glass. You want, you want pure water. And purity isn't just freedom from sexual sin, but, but all kinds of sin. Bitterness and hatred, selfish ambition, gossip, pride, self-righteousness. But our, our topic tonight is about sexual purity in particular, which, which means that our, our hearts and our minds and our lives are free from the compromise of sexual sin. Now, before we talk about what, what compromise is and how we, we fight it, we want to, be, want to be clear about why it is that we want to pursue purity. So you, we've got, if you walk away with anything tonight, know this, that purity in and of itself is not the goal. Purity is not the goal. So for those of you who are virgins, remaining a virgin is not the ultimate goal. Never looking at pornography again is not the ultimate goal. Never hooking up again is not the ultimate goal. 
never giving in to masturbation again is not the goal. Those are good things, but that's not the ultimate thing. Listen to our verse again, Matthew 5, 8. Purity is not an end of itself. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Purity is the means to the end. Purity is, it's the pathway to where we're trying to get to, which is God. We pursue purity of heart to see God. Practically. The Bible teaches that we were created to know God, to love God, to enjoy God, to, fulfill, to be fulfilled in Him, and to delight in Him. He is our goal. To know Him, to love Him. And Christ has made that possible. Christ came and He died for sinners and He rose from the dead. And now, by trusting in Him, we can be washed clean. And positionally, we are made pure. But there's a practical righteousness that, that is promised for us today through which we can see and know God now. Is that, that hope of knowing God and seeing Him, is that your greatest delight? Psalm 63.3 says, Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. That's why we want to pursue purity. Because we are a people who believe that his steadfast love is better than anything else in this life. There's nothing better than him. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God is better than porn? Do you believe that he's better than sexual pleasure? Than finally having somebody to hold you at night? Because that, that issue is the root of this whole thing. Because it was, it was Augustine who said, You have formed us for yourself, and our hearts are restless till they find their rest in you. Is your heart restless? Even as a believer, are you tired of losing this battle? Are you, are you tired of seeing other brothers and sisters struggling? Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. There is rest for your weary soul. And it's in Christ. And again, positionally, our relationship with God, that is sealed when one turns from their sins and trusts in Christ. They are born again because He paid in full for our sins on the cross. But He has been raised, and now today... Today, he says, come and see. All you weary ones, come and drink of the water. Come and eat of the bread that is life. Come to me. And all of life flows from this relationship that we have with God through Christ. We desire now to please him and to live lives of, of thankfulness in response to him. So, so purity is not about, I'm going to be pure so that God will say, oh, finally, they finally measured up, now you can see me. It's not how he works. It's not that at all. We've never measured up, we never will, but Christ measured up on our behalf. That's our great hope. And now we live a life of response. 
What a thankfulness and gratitude because of that. By the power of his his spirit, believing that, that God is good and God does good for his people. God gives good gifts. Even sex itself. Sex itself is not evil. So the church has jacked this up for a long time. Sex is not at all evil. God has given sexual pleasure as a good gift to be enjoyed in the way he designed it to be enjoyed, which is in the context of marriage between a husband and a wife who have made a covenant commitment to one another. Sex is not an evil thing. I mean, listen to this. Proverbs 5.18, Solomon says, speaking to his, his sons, let your fountain be blessed and rejoice, rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. That's in the Bible. And so is this. Listen to this from Song of Solomon. This is a compilation, a remix of chapter 4, okay? Just little bits of it. Here we go. Can't read the whole thing, but... Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. Draw me after you. The king has brought me into his chambers. I am sick with love. His left hand is under my head and his right hand embraces me. And then he says to her, Your eyes are doves behind your veil. Your hair, your teeth, your lips, your cheeks, your neck, your breasts. You are altogether beautiful, my love. There is no flaw in you. You have captivated my heart with one glance of your eyes. Much better is your love than wine. Your lips drip nectar. Honey and milk are under your tongue. I came to be your bride. I gathered, I ate, I drank. Be drunk with love. That's in the Bible. Because God made sex as a wonderful thing for a husband and wife to enjoy together. It's a good God that he, he, is, he has designed marriage to have passion and, and sex for pleasure, not just procreation. There's a powerful bond that God has given in sexuality that, that, that unites a husband and a wife in, in body but also soul. It's, it is powerful. And because it's so powerful, our passion must be guided and guarded by God's word. One of my old mentors used to use the illustration of, of a fireplace when he would talk about sexual passion. He would say that the fire is a good thing. And when it's in the fireplace, it warms the house. And people can come next to it and enjoy it. And you can snuggle up there and do you some marshmallows or whatever you're going to do. Like that's, it's a warm place that gives off blessing. But you get that fireplace outside, or you get that fire outside of the fireplace, and what happens to your house? to burn the whole thing down. And that is what many of us know in our lives. We've got scars all over the place because we, we misuse this very powerful gift that God gave to be used in a particular way. For many of us, our, our deepest wounds revolve around things that have to do with what we'll be talking about tonight, with sexual sin either that we've done or has been done to us. And this is why God gives commands to teach us 
what the path of purity is. So that as we pursue that path and we walk along that path by faith in the power of the Holy Spirit, we can get glimpses of glory. We can see Him and be fulfilled. So God gives commands about sexuality. Hebrews 13.4 says, and we're going to be all over the place in the, in the Bible tonight, so I encourage you to just listen and soak it up. I've given you all the verses. You can come back to it. You can turn there if you want to, but, but no pressure. Hebrews 13.4, let marriage be held in high honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral, or the fornicators, and the adulteress. God says marriage is, it's a big deal. It's a good thing that I have designed, so it's to be honored. Whether you aren't married yet, which has to do with the sin there of sexual immorality or, or fornication. So, so there is, there's a way that you, that you touch someone, or talk to someone, or think about someone in a way that God only intended for a man and a woman to do in the covenant of marriage that is sinful. There's something that's off limits for us. God says, I haven't designed that for you. God says sex is good, but because so, it is to be reserved solely for your spouse. Then the other is is adultery, the seventh commandment. There is a way that a man and a wife relate that they should never relate with anyone else ever again. The way you think about somebody else, the way you talk with somebody else, the deep things that you share with somebody else, the way that you touch someone else. God has designed sexuality to be used in a particular way. And I think it's also good for us to remember that God forbids things like this because they are hindrances to us seeing him. God's commands are are guardrails for our joy. We're talking about purity being a pathway that we pursue to to see God, and and His commands are these these guardrails that keep us from going off to the ways that we would go by ourselves. He's a good God and gives good commands. And it's also important to to notice here that, that, that sexual sin isn't just doesn't just hurt us but it always hurts others. The great command is to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to to love our neighbor as ourself. 1 Thessalonians 4 speaks of defrauding each other. There would be no sex trafficking if there were no clients. There would be no pornography if there were no pornography watchers. And even if it's consensual, You're defrauding the other person. And for for us who are Christians, when we we sin in sexual areas, sexual ways, it it deadens our hearts. So if you think that sitting behind a computer screen and looking at pornography, whether you're a man or a woman, doing that and then then going away that it's not going to affect anybody else, that's a lie. Because if you're a Christian, it deadens your heart. And it doesn't make you think about serving others or loving others, or encouraging others, or seeking how you can help others. It fills you with shame, and guilt, and regret, and remorse, and it makes you disinterested in others. Satan is crafty. 
But we've also got to know these are not just external commands that God is getting at, getting after you. Jesus, he wants a deeper devotion, a heart devotion. Listen to this from Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 through 30. He says, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, which is true. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent, it's the same thing for looking at a man with lustful intent, has already committed adultery with her in his heart. See, the, the temptation, when we think about purity, is to see purity merely as something that we do or we don't do. As a line that we cross or a line that we stay just outside of. So you could be deceived into thinking that if you're scrolling around Facebook looking at pictures of old boyfriends or girlfriends, trying to think about, oh, I wonder what it would have been if we'd have worked out, but you're not looking at hardcore porn, that you're pure. It's just not true. We could be tempted to think that if you're unmarried, that, that if you're not kissing, or you're not taking off clothes, or you're not having oral sex, or you're not going all the way, that, that you're okay. That's not true. Jesus says purity, the kind that allows us to see God, is deeper than that. Purity is much more about the posture of our heart than the position of our body. Purity is much more about the posture of our heart than the position of our body. It's about our affections, our desires. And impurity is much less about which rule you broke with your boyfriend or girlfriend than it is about the posture of your heart that led you there. See, the, the promise that Jesus lays before us today and every day Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. It's, it's a call for our hearts. He wants all of us, the deepest part of us, our affections. Impurity, Tim Keller uses this, this illustration about how impurity or sin, which trades the lasting treasure of enjoying God for fleeting pleasures of right now, he, he uses this illustration of how impurity is an appetite suppressant so so we are to be a people who are hungry for god right we want more of him we can never get enough that's what we're that's what we're supposed to be it's what the spirit is creating in us but what sin does sin is like eating a big old thing of cotton candy before a ribeye dinner you just wolf down that bag and then you're just not so hungry for that ribeye anymore the idea of it sounded great. We're going out. We're going to get, get some food. But then, when it's suppressed by a lesser good, you don't want the better good anymore. That's what sin seeks to do to us. It seeks to, to give us these little, these little satisfactions, as it were, that, that numbs our affections and numbs our souls toward, toward God. Purity is a means to cultivate hunger for God, to long for Him that he would fulfill us through his grace and for his glory. The last thing I'll say about this before we move into the next section is that the purity is, that this call to purity, this is God's will for us. So people want to know, what's, what's God's will for my life? Listen to this from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. It says, this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. For God has called us, not, God has not called us for impurity, 
but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man, but God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. When someone's born again, they are given the Holy Spirit of God. And the Holy Spirit of God, what he is doing is he is conforming us to the image of Christ. He's enlightening our eyes to the scriptures. He's warming our hearts to prayer. He's giving us love for other people. He's giving us grace to obey. He's, doing, he's shaping us into the image of Jesus that we might see God for who he is more and more. But what sin does, sin calls us to quench and to grieve the Spirit. To say, no, I don't want that. God says, my will for you is holiness. It's, it's sanctification. It's to be made like Jesus. You're called for holiness. So, so those of you right now who want to know what God wants you to do for the rest of your life, but who are giving yourself over to sexual sin, whether it be pornography or masturbation or relationships or whatever it may be, one of the reasons you might be having a hard time knowing what God wants you to be doing with your life is because the one thing that he's made really clear we're disregarding. We want God to tell us. And I know firsthand about this. I struggled for a long time with this area. But the good news of the gospel is that God saves sinners. So in our struggle, there's grace. In our failures, there's mercy. In our stumbling, there's the cross. We have a good Savior who gives grace. The very fact that we're all in here tonight, breathing, sucking in mercy, is evidence that he's not done. He's being merciful to us. And we hear this promise of blessed are the pure in heart, and we're going to see God, and we, we want that. We, we love Jesus. We want to follow him. We want to be used for his glory. But, but on the other hand, for some reason... We're drawn toward those sensual thoughts. The illusion of pornography. The reliving of, of old memories. The escape of masturbation. The, the lure toward a, a co-worker or an old friend. The mystery of same-sex attraction. Whatever, whatever, wherever we are, there's, there's a battle that's within all of us. Where Paul said, I, I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is it's what I keep on doing. Why is it that way? Well, the second part, number two, are the enemies and the obstacles to purity. The enemies and the obstacles to purity. So you've got to know right now, right now you're at war. Like this seems peaceful. There's some pastel colors up there. and You know, it's not real comfy in the benches, and, but it's, it's a relatively comfortable place. But right now, this is a war zone. When you get up in the morning, you're in battle. When you go to work, when you're in the car, when you're sitting before the computer, when you're on a date, when you're wishing you had a date, there's a war going on for your soul. Listen to this from 1 Peter 2. It says, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Galatians 5.17, the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. 
there is a war around us and within us. And the world that we live in is not designed to help us pursue purity. Amen? I mean, it's just not. I mean, it literally seems like everything around us calls us not to look to God and to pursue purity so we can see Him, but to look away from Him for some kind of immediate help. Particularly, let's think about pornography for a moment. Let's talk about it. Pornography is is becoming as commonplace as literally the evening news. Let me just give you some statistics. I'm not a big statistics guy, but I'm going to give you some. These are just a couple years old. So they're they're relatively recent. Every 39 minutes, a porn film is made in the United States. Every 39 minutes. Every second, just over $3,000 is spent on pornography. Every second, between 28 and 30,000 people are viewing porn. Pornography is a $100 billion business worldwide and growing. In the United States, it's $13.6 billion. It's more than Microsoft, Google, Amazon, eBay, Yahoo, Apple, Netflix, and Earthlink combined. That's more than professional football, basketball, baseball, and hockey combined. Sex is the number one topic for internet searches. 68 million daily porn searches. 25% of all internet searches pornography. The average age of a person's first exposure to pornography? 11. I was 10. And, And to this day, it's like it's burned into my mind. By the age of 18, 93% of boys and 62% of girls have been exposed to pornographic images by the age of 18. The number one consumer of internet porn is boys between the ages of 12 and 17. 33% of internet pornography is viewed by women. Only 17% say they admit to it, admit, admit it to others. Pornography increases marital fidelity by over 300%. of divorces, at least one person, had obsessive interest in pornography. In January, there was an article in the Washington Post that said, D.C. residents watched nearly twice as much online porn per capita as people in any of the other 50 states. Twice as much. High stress, waiting to get married, a lot of factors there. And then you've got mommy porn, the erotic novels, Fifty Shades of Grey, 100 million copies sold, 52 languages, and a movie coming out. Perversion in our day is, it's being normalized. And with the rise of the smartphone, I mean, it's like pornography in your pocket. And, and to put things in just a little bit of perspective for you, in 1950, there was a show called I Love Lucy. Anybody know that story? Okay. I Love Lucy, Lucille Ball sister. (laughs) Ricky Ricardo, right? Well, I don't know if you know this or not, but whenever they would show a bedroom scene with Lucille Ball and Ricky Ricardo, there was something unique about their bedroom. They had two beds. 
two full-size beds because they couldn't even imply that a married couple might, might be together. 1950. Today, I mean, everything promotes adultery like it's the greatest thing that's ever happened. Promotes infidelity, promotes every, every brand of perversion that there, there is. Sexual temptation is in one sense the very air that we breathe. It's intoxicating calls keep coming, especially when we're weakest. So you take all of that coming to where God's people, with God's spirit, we want to see him, we want to know him, we want our hearts to be warmed, but all of that is coming at us, plus we've got stressful jobs and stressful school situations where there's these high demands and constant pressure and anxiety and porn or a person calls with the promise of just a little escape. Some of us don't have jobs. We're discouraged. We're worn out. We're, we're tired of the feelings of failure and rejection and despair. And sexual sin promises some comfort. You deserve it. Some of us are single. We've got this, this daily battle of trusting God's timing. You're like, man, when you're talking about the sex and marriage, like, I want that. I want that kind of relationship. I want a husband. I want a wife. God, help me know your ways are best. But those feelings of, of loneliness and rejection, they're strong. You, feel, you just feel destined. You just, you know, you just want to kind of just give up. Just be a you know, Baptist nun or a monk and get you a gerbil or a hamster or some kind of thing. Just quit. Just, just give up. Sexual sin then calls. Pornography promises that someone will find you attractive. Someone will affirm you. You won't get rejected here. Endless clicks. And then there's some who are in a relationship. Who maybe you're on your way to marriage and you, maybe you love each other. You're, you're on that way toward loving each other. And what seems natural is to give yourself to the other person. Listen, those feelings, those desires are not evil. What you do with it is what matters, though. Don't tempt each other away from Jesus. That, whatever that is, is not love. Ladies, if you're in a relationship with a man who's tempting you to give in to sexual sin, as now, so then, be careful. Men, if you're in a relationship with, with a woman and she will not, she will not follow your lead in this area, as now, so then, careful some are married and we love our spouse and we want to be the leader or the helper that Christ has called us to but our mind it wanders to past relationships we get lonely they say that nothing is worse than being alone other than being married and being alone or maybe there's anger or resentment growing in your relationship and the internet promises escape Maybe there's old flings that you want to look up. Maybe you sink a new one. And then there's some of you tonight who have come here who have been through abuse. It took you a lot of courage to come here tonight. 
being that you knew what we were going to talk about. Someone hurt you. Someone that you should have been able to trust. You've been sinned against. But, but now you can't seem to shake that, that guilt or that shame or the feeling, feeling of, of dirtiness. And some of you have, have taken that pain and have and just kind of hidden away and, and drawn away from people and won't, won't risk love. I want you to know that Jesus weeps for what happened. There is grace to help you come out of that and to be healed. And then others of us have responded to abuse by turning promiscuous. I want you to know there's grace for that too. And Jesus can help you to be free. Look to him. But whatever our situation is, this is the battle that we find ourselves in. And for many of us, and many of those who we minister to, sexual sin, it seems to be the defining mark on our lives. It's kind of what you might call a besetting sin. A rebellion that you just can't seem to shake. And you've tried accountability, and you've tried computer programs, and you've tried prayer, and you've tried fasting, and you've tried working out, and you've tried cold showers. You were in a club where if you messed up, you gave a dollar. You've tried every kind of weird thing that you can think of. You've tried it all. But to no avail. Many of us feel like we've tried but we're still prone to wander. I encourage us to pray the prayer of David. Psalm 30. Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me. Be my helper. If that's you, the good news of the gospel is that God helps sinners. So if you came in here discouraged and worn out and beat up and feeling like there's no way for me to ever get out of this thing, and I know he's going to say, I've heard it before, I want you to know that there is... Help at the throne of grace. And the path to purity says, look here, look, I am your helper. Blessed is the one whose helper is the God of Jacob. There's help for you. There's help for me. Out of my distress, I called on the Lord, and the Lord answered me and set me free. He can do that. That's Psalm 118.5. How? The remainder of our time will be focused on these strategies. Strategies for helping us to pursue purity. Now, I was really intentional with that phrase, pursuing purity. Because this battle has to be kept in perspective. There is no quick fix on this thing. This is about the long haul. This is about learning how to walk on this path of purity day by day with our hearts leaning in and our eyes of faith looking up saying God I need your help again today that's the posture of the heart that seeks holiness so don't I want to to say to you if you're getting your face kicked in right now by this deal do not give up do not be discouraged to the point of despair you've got to keep perspective what we're talking about tonight This is about saving marriages 20 years down the road. Because you know that, don't you? You you know what Satan's trying to do, don't you, with pornography? Because if if you don't, let me explain to you. Like, Satan 
when he tempts you with porn or whatever sexual sin it is right now, he does not have, like, tomorrow morning's quiet time in view. Like, sure, he wants that to stink for you. He wants you to wake up feeling guilty. He's trying to sow things and patterns and ideas and understandings about what God's design really is. He's trying to sow that in your heart so that when you get in marriage and it's not like Hollywood and you're all kinds of baffled and become disgruntled and dis- he's trying to destroy your entire life. This is about saying no. It's about saying we're going to be with him on this path and we're going to keep trusting. This is about being free from regret in months and years ahead. It's about being 80 years old and being able to look at your husband and your wife and say, we made it. We made it. You've got to keep that in view. Sin, everything about it says, look, now, this is about pursuing him. These are long-term strategies to help us pursue the promise of blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Number one. Feed your affections with God's promises. Feed your affections with God's promises. So, our greatest defense (coughs) against sexual sin is for our hearts to be more stirred with love for God than love for sin. It's for our affections to be warmed by the grace that God has given us in Christ. And that, that flows from a heart that says we love because he first loved us when we were unworthy just as we are now love for god is our first line of defense you're like okay i want to love god how do i do that well here you go here's a way ask god to help you believe that his promises are better than sin's promises and i'm not just saying like pray that lord help me to believe your promises Talking about get on your face and plead with him. Say, God, please help me to believe that. Because sin is always making you promises. Sometimes it whispers them. Sometimes it shouts them. But sin is always calling us to find fulfillment somewhere other than Jesus. That's what a temptation is. It's a call for your heart's affections to be satisfied with the thrill of the mysterious. Something that it promises is better than Jesus. Proverbs 5 speaks about the adulteress whose lips drips with honey, whose speech is smoother than oil. Sin is just like that. It promises if you give in, it will be worth it. You deserve this break. It's just this once. It's just a physical urge. You guys really love each other. No one will know. There's no consequences. You will not surely die. Lies that we've all heard. They are fire. It will burn down our lives, though. And this is where we've got to fight fire with fire. When, when life-stealing promises of, of sin begin to, to flood your mind, you've got to replace them with life-giving promises from God's Word. Sin will tell you that God is holding out on you. He's not giving you a spouse, or He's not giving you one who's going to please you. You need sinful satisfaction. And and in that moment, what you've got to do is you've got to have verses. You've got to have some promises that mean something to you. This, by the way, is why you read the Bible. You don't just read the Bible so you don't feel guilty for not reading the Bible. You don't just read the Bible so you can check off your box and be like, yeah, brother, I did my quiet time. 
Like, that's not why you read your Bible. You read your Bible because this is a matter of life and death. You're in war. And sin is coming at you with all kinds of promises. And you've got to come back with something like Matthew 5, 6. that says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. So no, no, that's not satisfying. Maybe for a moment. But true satisfaction comes from him. From those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Lord, help me to hunger and thirst for righteousness, not for this. Do you have a list of promises like that to help you? Do you have, do you have verses that you, can, that you hold dear, that mean something to you? You've got to get you some verses. Promises that you can, you can put in your mind through memorization, and you can put on your wall so that you can see it, you put on the top of your computer screen, that you put on your mirror, you put on your car, wherever you put them, so that when you, you can find them. I've given you a few verses there that you might, might consider there at the bottom. We need these truths. And, and see what happens is, is when we go to war with his promises, and what we're doing is we're looking up in faith and we're saying, God, help, help me believe this truth. Help me to believe that this is better. Help me to believe that this is better. There's something that happens in that in those moments of desperation and crying out and pleading and treasuring these promises that see, that show you that it's better to be with him. There's, there's something that happens there. It's where God warms our hearts and our affections to love him more. We see that he's faithful. He shows up and he helps. That's the good news of the gospel, that God gives us grace And you see that the gospel isn't just for non-Christians, it's for Christians as well. We were messed up, broken, desperate people, desperate sinners when we came to Jesus. That doesn't stop. We're still messed up, broken, desperate, needy sinners who need the gospel now. And the good news is he loves to give grace to his children. So grab some of his promises. Put them where you need to put them. Put them in your mind and in your heart to help you to fight this battle. And as you do, you'll begin to see sin for what it is. Listen to this quote from Spurgeon. May we say this with him. If Christ has died for me, I cannot trifle with the evil that killed my best friend. Do we think of Jesus that way? That he is our savior. He is our beloved. He is our friend. So spend deep time in God's word. Guard your time in prayer. Consider fasting. Get a playlist of songs that just warm your heart toward Jesus. And, and don't, just, don't just try to get this together in the heat of the battle. This is why we're always studying and always collecting truths to cling to. Cling to the cross. That is where the battle of lust is won. So, Feed your affections with God's promises. Use them in the heat of battle and let your heart be warm towards him. Secondly, continually put sin to death. Continually put sin to death. So please hear me on this. Sin isn't something that we can ignore. 
It isn't something that we can allow a comfortable place in our lives. And some of us view it that way. We're just going to kind of keep it over here. Literally every couple years, it's usually about every year, there's a story in the news where some guy thought it was a great idea to have a python as a pet. I don't know how it started, but he thought, I'm going to have a gigantic snake in my house, and this is going to be a great idea. And he keeps this snake in his house, and for a while, it is a great idea. His friends come over, I'm sure it's cool, all this kind of stuff. But about once every year, there's a story in the news of some snake that got out of its cage and either killed the master or killed a baby. Sin is the exact same way. If you try and keep it around and think that it's just going to be contained in its cage over here, you're deceived. Sin is, it's a deadly game. The longer we consider a temptation, the stronger it gets. The longer you let it sit around and look at you, the more power it seems to get to hypnotize us. That's why Colossians 3.5 says, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. These sins are ultimately idols that say, don't look up there at him. Don't pursue a path of purity so that you can see God, but look over here at me. Give me your affections. Romans 8.13 says, if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. So how do we relate to sin? Do we ignore it? Do we train it? You've got to kill it. You have to kill it. Owen said, you must be killing sin or it will be killing you. How? How do we do that? Well, we just spoke a moment ago by using God's promises. So that's one way that we do that. But, but some of us some of us, some of us aren't, aren't getting radical enough about our sin. There's more that needs to be done. Because this is a matter of life and death. L- listen to what, what Jesus says. He says the way out may be very severe. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. Some of us in here tonight have not gotten radical enough in our war against sin. We know there's things that are temptations to us, but but we don't want to get rid of it. We know there's places that we continually fall, but we don't We don't want to take it out of our lives. But Jesus says, do you want to live? Do you want to be free? Do you want to know life? Do you want to know joy? He says, you've got to cut it off. You've got to tear it out. If it's causing you to sin, you've got to cancel your subscription. 
if it's causing you to sin, if it's causing you to stumble, you might have to delete your Facebook or your Twitter. If there's an online game that you can't handle, you've got to be humble enough to see that and know that it's, it's an open door for sin and you've got to, you've got to kill it. Is there a, a street you've got to stop driving down? Do you need to change jobs? Do you need to change your phone number? Because somebody has it who keeps calling and you know you want to delete it, but you just don't want to delete it? How are you radically putting sin to death? I want you to think about that for just a moment. How are you, what is your plan, how are you radically putting sin to death? Can you think of steps that you've taken that you say, this would be radical? Because if not, I would suggest that we may well be disobeying these verses. Radical measures have to be taken to stop, to stop sin. It's going to destroy our lives. And radical, radical measures have to be taken to, to stop sin from coming in. So, so, for instance, if you remember a couple years ago, there was an oil spill in uh, the Gulf of Mexico. And before they could start cleaning off all the otters and the birds and get nature back to where it was supposed to be, what did, what did they have to do? You remember the video that was underwater and it kept showing the oil that kept just coming up into the Gulf? Before they start cleaning off the wildlife, they've got to stop that, they got to stop that sewage from coming in. And for some of us in here right now, there are things that have got to go. Like you've got to take your internet out of your house because you can't, you can't do it. You've got to not have a personal computer. Listen, believe it or not, people lived for thousands of years without the internet. <laughs> they actually did. Thousands of years. But I need it. No, you don't. Jesus says, you need me. You need me. I'm what you need. Do you believe that? Do we believe that? I lived for several years without the internet when I was a single man. I couldn't, I couldn't handle it. I knew myself. What about using internet helps like uh, Covenant Eyes or X3 Pro or something like that? Hey, listen, those are good tools. I use those tools. I recommend those tools. But you can't trust those tools. Because you know what I've done before? Even recently, I told Shai this. I was like, you know what? I think, I think at times I'm more worried about somebody seeing that I'm a pervert by looking at my Covenant Eyes report than me sinning against God. So that can't be an end in itself. It can be a help. But the goal is him. It's always got to be him. So don't let sin linger. You need to kill it before it kills you. Number three, starve the strength out of your sin. Starve the strength out of your sin. Okay? So the war against sexual sin, is an, it's an ongoing battle. So we've got to put it to death. We've got to continue to kill it. There's always going to be this, this, this battle against sin. So what we've got to do is we've got to starve sin of its strength. 
So, so imagine this. Imagine I told you that in, in one month, you are going to fight a sumo wrestler. Pay-per-view, your mama's going to be watching, everybody's going to be seeing this thing. It's you and the sumo wrestler. One month from now. But the deal is, the trick is that you get to pick his diet for the next month. What are you going to feed him? Water. Taco Bell. No. Nothing. Starve him. Starve that punk. He's going to sit on your face in front of all your friends and family. You do not want that to happen. You want him as weak as you can get him when you go into battle. Your flesh is the same way. You are going into battle all the time, and what you've got to do is you've got to find ways to weaken the strength of your sinful flesh. How? Romans 13, 14 says, Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ to make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Don't make provision for your sinful flesh. Don't cater to it. So do you know what stirs up your flesh? There's there's movies that some of us watch that we know we shouldn't watch. It's not porn, but it does something to us. There's TV shows that some of us just love. I love the storyline, and yeah, there's some of this and that, but, but you know what it does to your flesh? It feeds it. Some of you, there's music that you just can't listen to. Like, for me, like, there's, like, so, before I came to know Jesus, like, Biggie and Tupac, that was, that's how long ago I came to know Jesus, but, like, that was my thing. Love that. There's some music I listen to, like, it just makes me want to, like, go to the club or hit somebody. Like, both of those, that just stirs up, it just stirs up my flesh. I'm like, let's get rowdy. Like, that's, that's not good for me. When I listen to that kind of stuff, it is not good for my soul. Now, is that, is that, is it sin? I don't, I don't know. But I know what it, I know what it does to me. Some of us, it's gossip magazines. Listen, if you can list five things that you ever got useful out of TMZ, I would love to hear it. Like, I'm not sure how that helps you to not love the world. But what, if I watch it, I, I love the world more. I'm like, it would be nice to be a bazillionaire. How wonderful that must be. And maybe it would be nice, but, but, but if you don't have Christ, there's nothing there. And, and what's it doing to your flesh? And I want to encourage you not to take a narrow view of sin here. So, oftentimes when we struggle with sexual sin, we can focus on them only, which is dangerous. So, so sexual sin almost always grows next to other sins. The roots of our sinful nature are all together. So, so, so a number of years ago, I... I was owned by pornography. I was a Christian. I was early in my ministry. It was a church in Texas. And I, I was owned by it. Actually, before I became the pastor there, I remember one day I was at a Bible study. I got up early, eager, went and heard God's word, and I remember soon as we closed the Bible, I remember feeling in my heart, you're gonna go home. 
you're going to look at porn. And I remember just feeling like, yeah, I am. Because I felt like I had no power. I was done. And got little seasons of things got better in there, but, but eventually, in, in 2007, when God wrecked my life, what I call the year of the anvil, he, he broke me. And I saw in that season that, that the other sins of discontentment and fear of man, that they were, they were pumping power into my sinful flesh, which gave me no chance in my weakest area. I was discontent. I was 29, and I wanted to be married seven years before that. And I was so scared of what everybody thought about me, I couldn't be honest with anybody. So I'd tell one person over here, oh, I'm struggling. Can you pray for me, brother? I've got some issues with purity. And then over here, I'd be like, hey, it was a hard night. Can you pray for me? But I would just, it was so deceitful because I was so scared of what everybody thought about me. My fear of man and my discontentment, they fueled the strength of my sin, and it owned me. So what other sins are growing alongside your struggle with sexual purity? Fear of man? You can't be honest. Are you struggling with discontentment, singleness, or job? Are you proud? What I mean is, do you gossip about other people? and Do you find yourself to be more judgmental and critical than encouraging? Are you angry at God because he hasn't brought your dreams to pass? Are you angry at others? Is there anxiety and fear in your life? Like, are you always looking on WebMD to try and figure out why things are, your body's doing what it is? And like, seriously, and feed your flesh? Is Facebook and Twitter and the news the first thing that you look at in the morning rather than prayer and God's word? Those are all symptoms of a problem with affections. What is it that we love? And just just a word to sisters who are here tonight. So I want to encourage you to be a generation of women who love God and who love your brothers in Christ specifically by dressing modestly. I encourage you to talk about this in the Q&A in just a couple minutes, but but how you dress, how, how you dress, it, it affects your brothers in Christ and your own heart. Listen to this. This is my definition of modesty. Modesty is a godly discipline where ladies guard their brothers' hearts from lust and guard their own hearts from seeking sinful attention. Are you feeding your flesh by the way you dress? Trying to get that power that comes with somebody looking at you, knowing that you could, you could do something with that power if you wanted to. That's deadly. Remember that purity is a posture of the heart that is seeing God and delighting in Him above all else. So don't feed your flesh. One other thing that has to do with this before we go to number four is... is in your battle, learn your patterns of struggle. So if you've never read Screwtape Letters, it's basically, it's 
basically a book about uh, a mini-me demon trying to learn from big guy demon how to tempt other people, okay? And I encourage you to think about how to, how to write your own screw tape letter. Meaning, if you were Satan and you were going to come after you, how would you do it? When would you come? When you're stressed? When you're tired? When you travel? After a Sunday night service and somebody else is having another baby and somebody else got engaged? Know your weakness. See your patterns of struggle. Make them known to another brother or sister in Christ. Keep those in the light. And over time, by doing those things, we starve sin's strength. Number four, resist the temptation to flee alone. Resist the temptation to flee alone. So one of the greatest means of grace that God has given to you and to me to help us to make it to heaven and in this life to see God for who he is, is the church. A community of believers before whom our hearts are bared wide open and we are honest and we live authentically and humbly and in lovingly with. And, one of, and Satan knows this, so one of his great tactics is to overwhelm us with pride, I don't need that, or shame, I can't let anybody see me like that, so that we won't honestly and humbly open our lives before other brothers and sisters. Satan loves to keep your sin Some of you right now, you have things that are in the dark. You have things that you're hiding. I I know. I've been there. I know the fear that comes with that. And I know the lies of, well, maybe next time I'll tell. You have to have somebody in your life who knows you. We are to, when we sin, we are to confess our sins to God, 1 John 1, 9. He's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. We're also to confess our sins to each other. James five sixteen. confess your sins to one another and pray. Do you have someone in your life who knows you? I mean knows you. I mean knows everything about you. Every deep, dark bit. I think it's good. Have you been honest with that person? So this is what I think about when I think about accountability. So I keep some guys accountable. I have a few brothers who keep me accountable. Um, so, so Shy and David Verhey uh, and my wife uh, keep me accountable. Okay? Uh, we can talk about that in the Q&A. Um, here's the three rules for accountability. Okay? The rules that if I'm going to keep somebody accountable, here's my rules for you. Number, number You have... You keep your confessions to God and to one or two people. Now, you may do more than than that, but you have to keep everything to one or two people because what that keeps you from doing is spreading deceitfully lots of confessions around to alleviate the guilt on your soul, but nobody has a real picture of who you are. And over time, you forget who you are and just how bad it is. So one to two people consistently. By the way, those people have to be like people that you can see face to face. So not, I got a buddy back in Denver, and like, no, like you've got a buddy here. You need somebody here who you look in the eyes. Number two, 
my rule is if there's, if there's compromise, you tell within 24 hours. If there's compromise, you tell within 24 hours. Here's why. Number one, that is great motivation for me to not sin. So if I know I've got to talk to Shailen or David Verhey, or depending upon the circumstances, my wife, ain't no sin that good. It's just not. It's just, it's, it's, it's terrifying to me. It doesn't mean I'm above it. And this, the second thing is that if you do sin, what happens is if you leave it in there too long, you'll, you'll begin to rationalize about it wasn't really that bad. And next time I'll tell somebody and whatever other lie you can come up with. It's a cancer though. If you don't get it out, anything left in the dark, it will grow. So tell within 24 hours. These are my suggestions. These are not in the Bible. Thirdly, use 100% honest, true language. Now, what I mean by this is, um, so let's say, this has not happened, but let's say that I, let's say I looked at internet pornography. Let's say I went and I talked to Shy or to David. And I said, brother, I need you to know that I... So, so a wrong confession would be like, hey, I was struggling, looking at some stuff on the net last night. Can you pray for me? That is true, but it's not all the way true. And it's not as helpful as this is. Brother, I was on the internet last night for probably three hours. It was on and off and on and off. But I, I, looked, I looked at explicit things. And... I didn't stop. I knew I should have, and I thought of verses, and I just gave in. And then, then I gave in to self-gratification. That hypothetical con- uh, confession, what that does to you is that humbles you. And what that puts to death in you is your fear of man. Because, see, the reason that you don't say the other thing is because you want somebody to think better of you than you are. And the best thing it's for you to be who you are. And if you're weaker than you portray yourself to be, it's good for people to know that. It's good for you to know that. God knows that. This is also a good place for me to speak directly to you who are married in regards to this resist the temptation to flee alone. So if you are married, God has given you a spouse who is one of the greatest gifts that you have to help you not only flee from sin, but grow in holiness. So, husbands and wives, cultivate sexual intimacy together regularly. How often is regular? I'm not going to prescribe regular for you. You can do that in a counseling session if you want to. I'm happy to talk with you. Every couple's a little bit different. there needs to be a regular time that you guys are coming together and, and, and as you do I encourage you to, to talk about talk about your sexual intimacy with each other share concerns share fears, be open and it's, it's, it's hard sometimes, sometimes it's awkward but it's through that that God will unite your souls deeper and deeper see all of that all of that Hollywood lies to you about. It's just some show. It's not a show. 
You're married to a person who has their own fears and hopes and needs. And you're one of those too. God uses that sharing. And I encourage you, if you, if as much as possible, husbands and wives, go to bed together. Go to bed at the same time. I understand it's not always possible. I think it's a good rule to strive for. I have many other things on that, but don't fight sin alone. Number five, envision the end of your sin. Envision the end of your sin. I'm going to share something with you that's very personal. I hope it will be helpful. My life before Jesus, I was not a sexually pure man. It's not what characterized my life at all. In God's mercy, he gave me a wife. Her name's Carrie. We got married in 2007, August 11th. On our honeymoon evening, my wife gave me a letter written to the one. It said the one on the envelope. And I opened it up, and I read this letter written by a 13-year-old girl talking to her future husband about how she was going to wait for the one. A wonderful gift. But in that moment, I would have given anything, anything to be able to say, I've got the same for you. I would have traded all of sin's little stuff. I would have given it all away for that moment. Now, I think if I would have known what it would have been like on that day and all those other days, I think it would have changed the way I would have thought about sin. It wouldn't have been as good as it seemed. Now, because I married a very godly woman, she gospeled me. She held me while I wept for 30 minutes on our honeymoon night. She told me she forgave me. She told me that the blood of Jesus covers all of my sins. And that she had prepared her heart a long time ago. That if God could forgive someone, that she could as well. And in, our, in God's mercy, we have a wonderful marriage. I was short-sighted, though, in my life. One of the things about sin that we know is that it's never going to turn out as good as it says that it will. One of the best things that you can do is to envision the end of your sin. So when the temptation comes, think about, where is this going to take me? What's this going to do to me if I go down this path? What's this going to do to my heart? What's this going to do to my life? I remember a chapel at seminary where the chancellor read a, a newspaper article about one of the people who had graduated from our seminary and then talked about how he had fallen into adultery and had lost his ministry. And he said, do you think that if he knew about a conversation that he'd have to have with his church, if he'd have thought about that, or if he'd have thought about sitting down with his bride, 
and telling her what he did or sitting down before his children and explaining why they weren't going to be going to that church anymore or talking to his friends or all the people who would look to him. Do you think that if he'd have thought about that, that it would have changed the way he thought about sin? So when sin comes at you, you say it out loud. Here's what's going to happen if I give in to this. If I look at this, tomorrow morning I'm going to wake up and I'm going to feel guilty and I'm not going to want to read God's word. And then I'm going to have to tell my accountability partner. And someday I'm going to have to talk to my spouse or I'm going to have to talk to my spouse or, or I could lose my job for this or whatever. But say it out loud and hear it. Let it ring in your ears while those lies are ringing in there. And pray for sober-mindedness, that God would help you to see things rightly. See, that's, that's one of the tricks of our age. Everything is so fast that we don't have sober-mindedness, an ability to stop and to see things clearly. That is a gift from God and something that we ought to pray for. Sin promises to be sweet, but its aftertaste is always bitter. Obedience to God may be bitter at first, but its aftertaste is always sweet. And one of the ways that you can help help yourself in this as you think about the end of your sin is, is to meditate on the return of Christ. So hear this from 1 John. This is a wonderful passage I've been meditating on. 1 John chapter 2, verse 28 says, And now, little children, abide in him. Abide in Jesus. Stay on that path. Stay looking at him. Stay focused. Stay believing. So that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink back from him in, in shame at his coming. Verse 2. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But, but we know that when he appears... We shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And listen to this, verse 3. Everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. There's a purifying effect on your soul when you meditate on that day. And you think about what it's going to be like to see the one whose blood was shed for your sins the one who rose, the one who gave his spirit to live inside of us, the one who has done nothing but love us. To think about what it's going to be like to stand before him and to give an account. To think about how we want, we want nothing shameful in our lives on that day. Meditate on Christ. When was the last time that you awoke and thought, could today be the day? Could today be the day that Jesus returns? Maybe make that a prayer for the next little while. Father, would today be the day you send your son and help me to see all of light in light of that. Because if we knew that Jesus was coming right now, we're not giving in to sin. Because we see him for who he is and that perspective purifies us as he is pure. Which brings us to our, our final consideration, which is to find healing and forgiveness in Jesus. So as we've gone through everything that we've talked about tonight, some of you, I hope, have felt conviction. Some of you have felt encouragement. Some of you have felt discouragement. And you feel like, I do have things in my life, and I am filled with shame and regret. 
One of Satan's greatest tactics is to riddle God's people with guilt and shame and despair and lies. To tell you that you're just done. You're always going to give in to this. There's nowhere to go. But you've got to know, Jesus did not come for perfect people. He came for sinners. And this talk is given so that you won't sin. That by the power of the Spirit, that we'll go out and we will pursue purity to see God and delight in Him. And that's the hope of this. That this will be something that you'll use that will help you somehow. But if you, if you give in, hear this. 1 John 2. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the propitiation for our sins. He's the satisfaction of the wrath and the judgment that we deserved. He took that. So whatever guilt and shame that you feel, you've got to know Christ took that on the cross. And that the Bible says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So if you have unrepentant sin, what you do is you confess your sin. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. To be forgiven means the debt is canceled. It's canceled. You are cleansed, forgiven. You're right with him. I've given you a few psalms there at the bottom. Psalm 32, 38, 51, 103, 130. If you have sin that you need to confess and wrestle with before the Lord, those are good psalms to go to, to meditate on and to pray over. Brothers and sisters, there is healing at the cross. For sins gone and the days gone by and whatever sins may lay ahead. Let us be a people who pursue purity, not for purity's sake, but so that we might see God. May that be our great treasure and our great hope. As we go, let's go with this promise from Jude. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Would you pray with me?